Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Great to see everybody today. Welcome to those of you watching online. It is a great day, and lots of stuff happening, like Pastor Chris said. So we're going to get right into the Word. The Word of God is able to change us, save us, and work in us, right? That's, uh, that's, that's a key We want the Holy Spirit to bring forth that word. And so today we're finishing our series called See What God Does. We're not finishing that as our mantra, but uh, because one of our sayings around here, but we are, it is part of us. And we want to finish up talking about revival, what it is, what it isn't, what our expectations are, what we can do to flow with God because God is on the move. He's on the move in our nation. He's on the move around the world. And you should be very encouraged right now I just keep hearing more and more reports of breakthrough, more and more reports of the Holy Spirit moving, signs, wonders, and miracles being restored to his church. So it's a great time to be alive. Listen, generations before us wish they could live in this time. You say, well, it's so hard. It's so hard if you're looking for the hardness. If you're looking for difficulty, it doesn't take long to find it. But uh, I mean, it depends, and I've, I've used this analogy before, but not in years. For me, this will help somebody. You got to be Tigger more than Eeyore. Okay? <clears throat> Even a seven year old knows what that means. Tigger's bouncing, 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 bounce. And Eeyore's, it's always a tough day. It's your attitude. And if we're in Christ, how can we afford to be Eeyore? We got to, we, we, we've got the bounce in us, right? Let's get right into the word of God. I've got a couple Old Testament passages to weave together and we'll get right into it. Today's message is called Turning Our Hearts. The story in 2 Chronicles 24, excuse me, 34, verse 1, talks about King Josiah. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign, so that would make him 16, while he was still young. Everybody say still young. While he was still young, he began to seek the Lord, the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, so 12, you know, at at, at this point, that's, uh, he's 20 years old, right? In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. Very powerful. Talk about that in a few moments. And then my second scripture to weave in is the final words of the Old Testament. Really important. Listen, when God uh, spoke through Malachi the prophet, he would give a, a word and God would not prophesy through anybody else for 400 years. Longer than America has been around, there's a period of silence between the old covenant and the new covenant. Someone got saved here last Sunday, and we prayed for them after church, and we brought them Bibles, and Pastor Tristan said, this is a New Testament. And the young man said, yes, um, I don't know, what's the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's a very simple thing. And Pastor Tristan did a, a wonderful job because he just said, Jesus. 
is not in the Old Testament. Jesus is in the New Testament. <clears throat> so we get that understanding, and he kept it really simple. But the final word <clears throat> of the Old Covenant, excuse me, is the word curse. Happens in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, God says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. We know this is fulfilled in John the Baptist, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the bottom line is God is doing some, listen, if you look at that and break that verse down, verse five, it says before the coming of the great day of the Lord, Elijah will come, and before the coming of the dreadful day of the Lord, the day of judgment, Elijah will come. And he wasn't talking about reincarnating Elijah. He was talking about the spirit and power of Elijah being released in a person and today, I believe, a generation. Let's pray one more time. Father, would you open our eyes and soften our hearts generationally? Remove that generational conflict and in this house, repair the breach and restore the unity of the ages and the generations in the room that we might see your coming in power in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we talked about turning the world right side up instead of upside down. Vance Havner said what we call revival is simply New Testament Christianity, the, the saints going back to normal. We said it's time to be all in with the Holy Spirit, no gains. We want everything God has for us. If we'll pursue that, he will release that. Now, we're going to talk today about maybe where those thoughts come from because that's important as well. But I want to kind of, I want to drill down a little bit into this thought. John the Baptist was a trailblazer. The Bible said that he brought the open portal between heaven and earth. He was there when heaven opened over Jesus when he baptized them. He was there to prepare the way of the Lord to make Jesus' pathway straight, the Bible says. And he turned the hearts of fathers and their children toward each other. That's not just about fatherly, that's parental. He turns the heart of moms and dads and grandparents toward their children and grandchildren, the hearts of the children and young toward the older generation. There is a turning that's happening right now in revival. And if we don't pay attention to it, we're gonna miss it. The spirit and power of Elijah is that there is a generation that will stand before the nations of the earth and say, how long will you stand between two opinions? If God is God, if he's your Lord, then serve him like you know he's real. And if he's not, then go ahead and serve the devil and see what you get. That's what Elijah did, and he called down the fire of God. My friends, the evidence of true revival is an awakening of young people. I've been reading a book I referenced a couple weeks ago on revival, historical and biblical revival, by Pastor Che On from Pasadena, California. And it just I, I, I've studied this stuff for years, but this is just stirring in me more and more and seeing that movie, The Jesus Revolution, a few weeks ago. There's an awakening of young people. 
And we need to feed that awakening. It's, it's really important that we don't just go, oh yeah, it's young people. And, and, and the problem is, you know, once you get past a certain age, you start feeling like you're no longer young, so God forgot about you. That's not true. I preached on Caleb a couple weeks ago, and Caleb at 85 said, I still feel the fire. I still feel the power. I still have God on me, and I feel as strong as I did at 85 as I did at 40. Don't let God, don't let the, the enemy rob you what God's trying to do. God's trying to do something, but the evidence is an awakening of young people. The Jesus Revolution in the 60s and 70s wasn't the only time the Holy Spirit ignited the spirit of revival among teenagers and young adults. It, is, it exists throughout the Bible and throughout church history. And while I was preparing for this, <clears throat> I remember, you know, by the way, this was uh, uh, 20, let's see, so it was 1996, 27 years ago this weekend that we moved into this building. 27 years ago this weekend. 11 weeks before we moved in, uh, Dr. Lester Sumrall, who was one of our mentors, um, he uh, was here dedicating this building. It wasn't even finished, and we had to dedicate it. Uh, that's why we moved our dedication for this building, because we're not going to dedicate a half-done building again. That's what I, that was my pledge. But anyway, he said a lot of many great things to us in the, in the years that we had him in our lives, and and one of the things he said was this kind of came up in my spirit. One time we were at his, we went to, to uh, South Bend, Indiana, where he was from, to be with him for a weekend and then to uh, spend time with him on Monday and take him to lunch and just, he was just a walking apostolic visionary. I can't even explain Lester Sumrall. He was, uh, he was like General Patton and Paul the Apostle wrapped into one guy. Because he's very gruff, but he's very loving. <clears throat> but as we were about to leave, and he administered, and I, I just took notes. I, I, he said he wanted us to come with questions, and he wanted us to you know, take notes. So anyway, so I just wrote a bunch of stuff down. One of the things that he did was he, he grabbed us and prayed for us before we left that time. He said, I want you to know something. Yes, sir. The secret of building a great church is to build everything for the young and get the old people to pay for it. That's, that was one of his words to us. And I thought, you know, that keeps coming back to me at times because this building, we're not building a new auditorium for us. I like this room. I don't know about you. We've, we've raised the ceiling. We've knocked out rooms. We've taken out bookstores. We've you know, this, this room used to seat a couple hundred, and now we can, we can fit, you know, 350, 400 people in here comfortably, and we can do multiple services. So I'm happy. We, lo we love our technology, and we love what God is doing in this place, and that we, we couldn't say that the whole 27 years, because it was a low ceiling, remember when we got in? It was a bunch of stuff. But I love this room, but we need to build for the next generation. That's what this building is about. That's why they call it the legacy building. Because we're building for them. <clears throat> this is about children's classrooms. This is, this is about space for people to really connect relationally, to linger after church, to hang out. You know, most modern surveys indicate that up to 85% of all people who get saved are converted before their 30th birthday. Most before the age of 25. One preacher described young people as kindling 
which helps set fire to the old logs. I love that. I like that description. You know, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men if you follow me. And the promise, and listen, people, all people of every age are important to God and we need to be aware of them and, and minister to them because you can get saved at any age. You can get saved at any point in life. But the thing, the, the fact of the matter is, as you get older, a lot of people get more set in their ways. And so they just, what they believe is what they believe, what they think is what they think, and they just mouth off to everybody else about all their opinions, and they never really are open. <clears throat> so what we need is, that's why Jesus said, come to faith as a little child. You come to the kingdom as a little child, not child-ish, but childlike, where you're open. Kids are just open. Just, just tell me, Grandpa, tell me. Tell me, Papa, tell me. Tell me, Mama, tell me what's, tell me. And they're just waiting for that. We need to have that same type of passion for more of God in that way. And the deal is that a lot of times the church, we, we, so, we, we focus most of our evangelistic uh, uh, fervor into the direction of people that are already set in their ways most of the time. And so if we're looking at age 30 or tw let's say 25 and under as the majority of the majority, I mean, 85% of people that get saved do it before they're 30. Now, that doesn't mean you can't come back to the Lord if you, if you fell away. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about first time salvation. So we preach to everybody, but understand that if, if you knew you know, you, you, if you knew you could go fishing in an aquarium and, you know, get one of those little cute little angel fish on your hook, or you can go in the ocean where there's some real fish biting and you knew there was a spot. Once you go where the spot where somebody said, I, listen, I'm going to take you out to this reef out here. There's fish all day. You know, I'm not a fisherman, but I'm, I, that, that, put me in that boat. <clears throat> I do not, my idea of fun is not dangling something in the water and sitting around for five hours, okay? So I want to go fishing. If I'm never going to fish, I want to fish where they're biting. Young people right now are in the crosshairs of not only God, but you can see it in what the devil's doing. You can see it. What does the enemy know that we don't know? <clears throat> Think about it. What age were you truly born again? Or what age did you really have that aha moment where something significantly happened to you? Every age is important, as I said. I was thinking about it. <clears throat> God curiosity can only come from the Holy Spirit. Now, I was raised in church all my life. Some of you know my testimony. I was saved in a method, you know, I mean, I was born into a Methodist family generationally, my grandfather was a Methodist pastor and my great-grandfather was a Methodist pastor in uh, southern New Jersey. <clears throat> my dad was a preacher's kid and to be honest with you, still has issues about it, about being a preacher's kid. Didn't pursue ministry, <clears throat> pardon me, because of that, I think, but, um, but, but felt called to be in music ministry and that kind of thing, very, very powerfully used in that way. So I was, I was raised in this Methodist church and then at 11, we switched to the Presbyterian church because it was closer and they had, my parents wanted to be in a choir and a certain thing, so we went to Presbyterian church. Now, 
I didn't get saved till I was 19. It didn't mean I was an atheist. I was at, at no point an atheist. I, I, I think I spent three days in a, as an agnostic when I had one friend when I was 16 who asked me hard questions and I didn't have the answers. And this guy named Dennis Cress down the road, he, was, he knew everything. He was 16. <clears throat> and he started asking me, started asking me the, the atheist questions. You know, it's like a list of things that they, little talking points they have. And it messed with me for about three days. But then I believed in God again because I had a test the next week and I prayed for help and he gave me help. <laughs> so I believed in God, but I didn't know God. But I can remember at 18. Now, now I want to preface this by saying that 18, when I got saved, well, 19, I guess. At 18, <clears throat> when I became 18 years of age, the drinking age in Florida was 18. So on my 18th birthday, my friends took me out to ABC Liquor and, and, and got me plowed, and, uh, and it was all legal. And that became part of my routine for, you know, off and on for, for 18 until I got saved. And here's the weird part. I can remember being dropped off at home in a lot of those nights, and I would go in and put on my headphones for my stereo, which are nothing compared to what they have today. But uh, I would put on my headphones because I was home, you know, two or three in the morning and my parents used to go to bed about 10 o'clock at night. And so I'd be alone in my room and I remember playing, now some of you guys don't, don't even know who this is, but I used to play this Alan Parsons Project album and it would mess with me about God. I'm not saying it's a Christian album at all, by any stretch. It's probably new agey or some weird thing. But I would sit there and listen to a song called The Voice. And we're talking about this, you can't escape the voice. He's watching you. He's watching you. And I remember, I kept thinking about Jesus. Is this real? Is this stuff real? So when I got saved a year and a half later, I had already had this awareness. So I don't know about you as you start to wake up, but I'm telling you, the beginning of revival is curiosity. And curiosity doesn't just come in holy things. If you look at that Jesus Revelation, uh, Revolution movie, the, a lot of young people got saved sitting around a campfire smoking doobies and going, what do you think about this Jesus thing, man? And God in his infinite wisdom and grace and mercy was putting something in. So I, I, what I'm trying to say is let's not be so quick to judge the outsiders or those that are on the ledge because we don't know how the spirit of God is dealing with them if we're praying for them. Now, if we're sitting around going, well, those Generation Z, oh, those millennials, oh, they sow this and that and the other, oh, the Generation Z, let me, give me a break. I, I was, I've sat in pastor's meetings where everybody's downing the next generation and I'm the one that says, uh, excuse me. And by the way, I was in this one, I was in the car one time and it was millennial pastors and me, the old dude. And the millennial pastors were complaining about the generation Z pastors, which, I mean pastors, the young people that are coming up in teenagers and early 20s. And they're going like, <clears throat> how do you deal with them? I said, well, number one, I don't talk bad about them when they're not around. That shut the car up. 
I wasn't real popular. But some part of this is <clears throat> we forget where we've come from. Did you? My gosh, if some of the things we did in the 70s were as lethal as the stuff today, we wouldn't exist as a generation. Some of you that grew up in the 80s, the same thing. So we need to have an awareness that God is doing something. The people of God served all the days of Joshua. Pastor Lindsay referenced this verse last month. Joshua died 110. But the most tragic verse of Scripture in the whole Bible, hands down, is Judges chapter 2, verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers when they died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. My friends, that should break our hearts that the people who saw the Red Sea parted and the people who saw water in a desert come out of a rock to give water for 40 years to 3 million people. We have to have an understanding that those people saw it and they didn't effectively communicate it to their grandkids. Even then, God was dealing with the young when he said, all those of you over the age of 20 aren't gonna go in the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. But those 20 and under, they will go into the promised land. God knows that we have to be aware of his dealings and allow the Holy Spirit to move in us, but to turn our hearts toward the next generation. When people don't really know the Lord, idolatry is almost inevitable. That's why God said, you, here's, the, here's the main stuff. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said, <clears throat> the greatest command is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. My friends, instead of screaming about the idolatry to a generation who doesn't know the Lord, let's introduce them to the Lord and not religion. Let's introduce them to Jesus. Let's introduce them to the power and the person of the Holy Spirit that always lifts Jesus. He's a present help in time of trouble and we need him. In our text today, King Josiah was crowned at the age of eight. Imagine becoming king at the age of eight. Off with his head, bring me chocolate milk. Right? I mean, think about it. What's an eight-year-old want? Bring me video games and lock him in the dungeon. I mean, it's crazy. But at eight years of age, something happened. And the Bible said, from eight to 16, he did not turn aside to the left or to the right. He did not turn aside. That means he was, he was, he was, he was upright. He was looking straight ahead. By 16, something happened that we might call the revival of one. The revival of one. <clears throat> he began 
to seek the God of his father, David. Now, the Bible says nobody can even seek God or grope for God unless the Holy Spirit puts it in their hearts. So at 16, the Holy Ghost was already dealing with this young man to seek God and to go after God. And what happens? God is a reward of those who diligently seek him, right? So the rewards then come. By four years later, he's so strong in God, he recognizes he has got to purge Judah, purge the praise and purge the, the city of peace, Jerusalem, of their idolatry. He's got to be responsible. He, he sees his own generation in that way. And, so, and it, wasn't, it wasn't just the older generation saying, you young people, look at you whippersnappers. Get off my lawn. That's how we sound to a lot of people. And, I've, and I, I suggested to you, because isn't that what you thought with older people when you were young? Isn't that, can be honest about it. You know, the, the, one, of the, one of the mantras of the Jesus revolution when they got saved as teenagers is never trust anyone over 30. That was one of the things they said. And now you is way over 30 yourself. You doubled it and lapped it. What are you supposed to do with that? He purges Judah by the Spirit of God. True revival moves into reformation. We were talking about it this month. The transformation of culture is reformation. Revival is re revival may be the curiosity and the excitement and the response and the entry point at, at, at receiving Christ in your life, receiving Jesus in your heart in a real and true relationship. But understand that the young and the wild in the darkness will become the free and the changed radicals in the light. Yeah. Acts chapter two, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, this is right at Pentecost, says God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And the very first thing God describes is this, and you know it, most of you, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, which means if you're still seeing visions, you're still young. If you're a dreamer, you've reached old age. <laughs> Sons and daughters will declare what God is saying through his word. I, I don't, online, I don't usually mention specifics on certain things, but some of you might know that Pastor Rick Warren of the Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life, just recently handed his church over to his successors a few months ago, back in just a few months ago. I think it was January. <clears throat> Passed it off after 40 years, I think, of stewarding that ministry of Saddleback Church. And when he passed it over to this younger man that he's poured into him for years, you know, this is a Southern Baptist church. But the young man coming up and the, and the new team that came in felt that his wife needed to be ordained with him as a pastor. <laughs> Apparently, it's near the unpardonable sin at the Southern Baptist Convention because they have now kicked out Saddleback Church, one of their stalwart flagship churches in the world. They kicked them out 
because the pastor's wife is now an ordained pastor and is allowed to preach. We're, we're, we're missing the point here, folks. We're missing the boat. Sons and daughters will declare what God is saying through his word and religion can't stop it. So Saddleback, I'm sure, will have the stalwart Baptists, you know, that want, to, want the label, probably go down the road but it will probably grow as a church and become more influential than ever in the next generation. I applaud their courage. Surprised they did it in the first few weeks of becoming the new thing, but more power to them. Because the word says, sons and daughters shall prophesy. My friend, the great commission is more about discipleship than conversion. So if we're talking about revival here, we need to understand that for everyone who prays the prayer, and that's the entry place, to get saved, you, the opening of your heart, Jesus, come into my heart, be Lord of my life, forgive me of my sin. That is the doorway, that is the entry point, but that's not the be all end all. Come to think of that, maybe that's why where the Baptists kind of stopped anyway. Because they think it's, Pray the prayer and go to heaven when you die. What about now? What about now? What about here and now? <clears throat> We've got to get people, here, here's what I thought. You got to, we must get people grounded and founded before they get pounded. <laughs> the turning of the hearts of the lost isn't just about getting them to pray the prayer. <clears throat> That's only step one in a lifelong process of relationship building with the living God. Something that today's generation, I don't mean just the young people, I mean all of us now, part of the biggest problems we, one of the biggest problems we have as a society, as a nation, as a world, is building face-to-face -face relationships right now. And we need that relationship face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. By the way, I love evangelism, and we need evangelists, but they are not pastors. Pastor Chris almost said it earlier. We used to say this, evangelists, you know them because they, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. They don't have to deal with you day to day like a pastor does. So I love that they come in and win the lost, but if somebody catches the fish, somebody else has to clean the fish, right? Or the, or the whole thing begins to stink. So what we have right now, we have God moving and we need to understand that we need the full five-fold ministry. We need the whole hand. Some of you, Ephesians 4 talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is the way to remember. The apostle is like the thumb because he can touch all the offices, okay? The pointer finger is like the prophet because he can point the direction of God and kind of point out what's wrong and what needs to be corrected. The, the longest fingers, the evangelist finger, and I have to show you this way because the other way I'd get in trouble. The, the evangelist sticks out further than the rest to go into the world and deal with that. The ring finger is the pastor because he's married to the church. And the, and the little finger is the teacher, the office of a teacher because he can get into places nobody else can go. We need the five-fold ministry in our generation. That's where you're gonna make contact. That's, that's you know... We're slapping at things with one or two fingers 
when we need the whole hand to have the weight of God around it and punch. We need fivefold ministry. We need the whole thing. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, not just converts. Discipleship to me means training, equipping, and teaching through dynamic relationships. It's all about relationship. The root word is discipline. Nobody likes that word, but it's in the Bible. If God loves you, he's going to discipline you a little bit. To show that he loves you. He loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. It's all about growing in faith, growing in identity, and in Christ. And it's exciting. Discipleship is not boring. It's exciting. I'm almost done. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Revelation 5.10 says that, that God has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Discipleship is what we used to call being, being trained to reign and schooled to rule. You're being prepared for something. You're being positioned for something. You're not just here taking up space until you die and go to heaven. We're not here to just pray a prayer and go to heaven when we die. We're here as, as occupants to occupy till he comes with his love, with his passion, with his presence and with his power. We're here to make a difference. We're here to point the way of the Lord, to prepare his way, to prepare the road for Jesus. God is moving, but we have to be ready to enforce the victory of Calvary by faith. And because young people are always such a great threat to the powers of darkness, we need to break every evil assignment from hell off the next generation. The perverted attacks are horrendous, but our God reigns. And I would say to you, as bad as the perversion and perversity of the generation, I think I'm most concerned about the anger, the resentment, the bitterness that's building up. And we have power over it. I want to talk to the parents and grandparents for a minute. And, and I really want to, I want to include the, you singles and those of you who don't have kids. Because the father's heart, the parental heart for children and, and turning that heart of children to their fathers and fathers to children isn't only about biology. It's a kingdom heart of God the Father being poured out by the Holy Spirit into each of us out of love and compassion for the emerging generations and showing empathy instead of criticism. Not that we don't stand for truth and righteousness, but there's a way to love people and hate the devil without hating people. There's a way to do it. It's nuanced, but it, by the Holy Spirit, that's what we have to do. Raising a family in the midst of revival, it's important to realize that as parents and grandparents, we have greater influence than we think we do. Just because they're chewing gum and rolling their eyes while we're talking doesn't mean they're not listening. It means they're pretending they're not listening. It means that till they get into the room and put on Alan Parsons, they might not think what you're saying. But words have power. Speak life. Speak life. 
I'm almost done. We've got to place more value on moral character than on your child's talents and interests. Thank you. Rainey felt that one. Did anybody else feel that one? In an age of competition where, you, where, you've been, where you've been brainwashed of feeling you're a bad parent if your kid is not in all the activities and doing all the sports and doing all the classes and all the, ex, you know, the, the intramural activities and all this stuff going on, it, it, that is such a lie. It is such a lie. You're wearing them out and then you're fitting in church as some kind of side point. That is often a trap. I heard a story recently that, so some of y'all remember, may, uh, may remember Melissa Etheridge, the, the singer who came out, uh, you know, in the 90s and, and all that stuff. And she wanted to have children with her partner. And so some of you may remember this story, but I, I didn't know it had a tragic ending until recently. So she, she, her, one of her idols was David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And so she asked for him to provide the DNA for her children. So they had two children, Bailey and Beckett. Because David Crosby, what a talent. And he was. Died last year at 81. He was talented. I mean, one of the best guitar, acoustic guitar players, my gosh. So she wanted the talent. But Beckett, the son, died two years ago of a drug overdose and he was barely 20. So you got all the talent. Did you not remember that David Crosby had been a heroin addict back in the 60s and 70s? See, people get so blinded by the talent They forget about the generational ramifications. So you got a talented, I I bet the boy could play guitar, but didn't help him when he overdosed on opioids. And now your heart is broken because you tried to play God and artificially create a human with no concept of Jesus and and the power of Christ. And now you're left heartbroken. I'm I'm not speaking evil of, I'm not trying to add insult to injury. Pray for that woman to get saved. She needs Jesus. And her daughter Bailey is like 26 now. She needs Jesus. Because that stuff is still working around. But it it was just such, it drove the point home to me The talent, you, you want a talent? Pretty soon they say, you're gonna be able to choose that. If you want a blue-eyed, blonde-haired child or a brown-eyed, black-haired child, if you want curly hair, this hair, you're gonna be able to artificially create in these next few years. And what are you gonna wind up with without Christ? We gotta stand on promises. Pastor Lindsay, come help me. I'm, I gotta lay on the plane. We gotta stand on promises. Psalm 112 says, if you're a worshiper, your seed shall be mighty on the earth. Mighty, mighty, mighty on the earth. Your seed, your seed. 
shall be mighty. Well, pastor, you don't know what we've been through. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about speaking the word, coming to agreement with God, say what he says, stand for your family, believe for the next generation. I was blown away to see recently, you know we, know, we all know the scripture, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every tongue rising against us in judgment, we shall condemn, right? Isaiah 54, 17. Do you know the context of that verse? I didn't realize until I was just studying recently. Verse 13 from the message starts with this passage. All your children will have God for their teacher. What a mentor for your children. You'll be built solid drowned in righteousness, far from any trouble, nothing to fear, far from terror. It won't even come close. If anyone attacks you, you don't think for us for a moment, suppose that I sent them, God says, and if any should attack, nothing shall come of it, for no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue rising against you judge. It's about our kids. It's about the next generation. It's about what God is doing. It's about what he's saying. And I'll add this. The church can't take the place of parents in training up children in the ways of the Lord. It's more about what they're turning out to be is, is much more than what's happening here with them once or twice a week. It's about what's happening at school, what's happening on the internet, what's happening on social media, what's happening on television, what's happening with you as their parents. The responsibility of Deuteronomy 6 says, for you to talk about the miracles. Talk about what God has done in your home, in your everyday life. Are you taking time to honor God, to talk about things of God, to have some fun things in practical life and practical devotions? Grandparents, you can play a part. And now church is a covenant body, the church of Jesus. And we all, each and every one of us, carry a certain responsibility for our children, youth, and young adults. Church, we're going to be in a few months in this building. And the building is not going to build the church. The building is going to give us a new opportunity to build it in a better and new way. We need more kids workers. We're about to have a four, a four and five-year-old classroom in excellence and a five and six-year-old, excuse me, four and five, is it three and four? Three and four and five and six, Right? So preschool and kindergarten and first grade are about to have their own classrooms over here. That means we need two new departments that we've never had before in 33 years of our history. That means we need more of you to actually start to catch the vision and say, I, I, I'm not just praying for the next generation. I'll go in there and teach. I'll take care of them. I'll be part of that. We need some of you older folks to, to, to get off your blessed assurance and do something. We need, we need some help. The young people, the youth, we need help. And now some of you are sitting there going, oh, I hope, so, I hope, hope somebody's hearing that. I hope you're hearing it. The Lord spoke to my heart in this building, we're going to raise up Christian leaders of the next generation, starting with three and four-year-olds, five and six-year-olds in a brand new way. If that doesn't move you, you don't have the spirit of Elijah. Let's pray.
Thank you, Father, for your holy word. We count on you. We trust in you. We believe in you. We ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts. Father, we need you to do something in our hearts in loving the children and the teenagers of this generation, of loving and preparing the way for young adults, Lord. We need, we need new leaders for young adults ministry, Lord. We need new leaders for youth ministry, Father. We need more able, trustworthy people that can be around our children, that can pour into them, Father. We need this, not just next year. We need, the, we need them now. We need you to work in us now. We pray for all those young people right now. We pray for all of our young people in our church under the age of 30, under the age of 25, in the teenage years. We just pray a new blessing, a new grace, a new mercy, a new power that you'd work in them. Holy Spirit, come and work in our kids that have been become religiously numb and don't experience you. Holy Spirit, come. and soften our hearts, change us. Forgive us for being so consumed with ourselves and with where we are that we forget the generation rising up behind us. Come work in us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Jesus, I said earlier how you can receive him right where you're sitting. Don't have to come at the front. Cry out to him. But when you do, that's not the end. That's the beginning. That's step one. And we'll help you to grow. We'll help you to grow. Great plans for some small groups in our new building, some great Bible studies, all kinds of things that, are, that we've been limited by our space. We're about to have space, abundant space for the first time in 33 years. Praise God. Give him praise today. Come on. God, you're good. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, event registration, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you.